This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Such Sights to Show, a Clive Barker podcast. I am Joe Lipsitz, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Brian Christopher. Hi, Brian. Hello, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, better than the kids in this here book that we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> that is a low bar, but I'm glad you're doing better than them. <laughs> this is true yeah so folks we're talking about the thief of always which is a middle grade young adult literature book by clive barker and i'm curious brian what did you think of this one i kind of love this like mm -hmm. i didn't know what to expect i didn't know if clive barker was going to be able to pull off like a children's story while also right. keeping it feel like a Clive Barker story. Like I, I was going into this thinking it's either going to be completely like diluted and, mm -hmm. and not at all like what makes Barker Barker sure. or it was going to be something that was not at all appropriate for children uh, mm -hmm. and something that was going to have like all the Barker elements, but then make you wonder like, okay, what's different about this, that it's a children's story. Uh-huh. But he, pulled it off he makes yeah. something that i think is distinctly clive barker mm -hmm. uh, i think there are some pretty deep dark themes in this book yes. but he does it in a way that isn't quite as nightmare inducing like i think there's definitely some some creepy imagery and he mm -hmm. has some some monsters in here that i think would probably keep some kids up at night but you know right. we're not we're not dealing with you know like cenobites for kids or something like that like he mm -hmm. he made something that is suitable for the age range and also i'm also happy to see that he didn't like just kind of like rehash stuff that he's already done and just right. kind of like kidify it it doesn't seem like he's recycling material, you know, like, right. which is something that I think an author could fall into when they're doing like a children's story where it's just like, I'll just take this and make it a little less scary. Like, no, he, he right. makes a new story here, mm -hmm. and, you know, and it's a fable. So it is something where it's like a lot of this, I do feel like feels familiar in a way, but not in a way where it feels like he's just rehashing stuff that other people have already done. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree with that. And I'm appreciative of the fact that you referenced the fable aspect of it, because I do think that's instrumental in how this story is delivered. So let me just give you a quick plot recap to anybody who hasn't read the book. And we should note that this is available in book form. There is also, I believe, a graphic novel adaptation, but I did not have a chance to check that out. Nor did I. Yeah, I saw there was one. I didn't get a chance to see it. Yeah, even if you just read the book version of it, you do get some classic Clyde Barker illustrations at different points. And mm. uh, amusingly enough, those are very similar to his adult work. So when you look at his drawings for Cenobites and other things like that, I mean, he has a, a distinct visual style. And I thought that was kind of interesting to see that he didn't try to pare that down into a more child-friendly mode. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he draws the way he draws, and you know, it's, yeah. it's nothing. Again, it's nothing that is super graphic. No, but it is definitely like from the mind of Clive Barker kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so Thief of Always is about Harvey. He is a disaffected twelve-year-old who basically doesn't want to go back to school. He's and... having an early life crisis. It's so crazy. <laughs> like th- that is one thing that, like, right off the bat, I'm just like. Okay, this is Clive Barker being Clive mm-hmm. Barker. It's this kid who's having like an existential crisis at 11 years old. Yeah. And he gets along well with his parents, but also he doesn't connect with them at all. So the opportunity for him to slip out when he is recruited more or less by Rictus, which is a kind of slightly mythological creature, like very much a recruitment officer where he goes out and he looks for children like Harvey that he can say, Hey, why don't you come with me? I'll show you a good time. There's definitely a predatory aspect to Rictus, but he's not so malevolent that Harvey is immediately getting red flags, danger warning sirens or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of saw this as it, it did remind me of as kind of like a demented lion, the witch in the wardrobe kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like my brain connected uh, him with the, is it a stag from the beginning? Like where they first go through the wardrobe and it's like the kind of like the half goat boy that kind of like takes them into the world. The fawn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that I was kind of getting a little bit of that vibe, but a little bit more, like you said, a little bit more predatory. Like they are, mm-hmm. he's, he's fishing basically. Yeah. This is one of those aspects where as an adult reader, this is the key difference between for me, young adult literature and then adult literature is that if you're reading young adult literature as an adult, you can often spot all of the warning signs. Whereas I think <laughs> if you were a child, you might be entranced by the idea of, ooh, this person comes, they offer me something, and I'm transported away on an era of mystery. And Mm -hmm. it's only after the fact that you realize, oh, there's danger afoot as well. Which is kind of a a funny thing when you look at that through the lens of like, you know, we we get to look at that through the lens of experience. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's not not that the writing is bad or that he's giving away something that like, you know, makes it... We're just more worldly. Yes, yeah. Like, we've learned those lessons, and it, it would kind of be a similar thing where if his parents were seeing that, it would be like, absolutely not. This mm-hmm. is a terrible idea. But yeah, <laughs> I think it's also important to note that it's not just a child. It's a child who's not really in his right mind. Like, he right. is he is looking for an escape. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they make it clear later that these monsters or whatever you want to call them, these, uh, you know, Rictus and, and his, his quote-unquote siblings, you know, they're, they're looking specifically for mm-hmm. kids who are easy pickings because they are bored or they are unsatisfied with their life. Like they, they know better than to try and dangle this carrot in front of just any old kid, because probably even just a normal 11 year old who was like happy with his house and happy with his family would go like, nah, something seems off here. (laughs) Exactly. Whereas Harvey jumps at this opportunity. So he goes with Rictus, they travel through town, and they reach this wall of mist. And when they walk through it, they're transported basically to another realm. So very fable-esque, as you said, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, Alice in Wonderland, all of these kind of classics. It's very much leaning into our familiarity with those kinds of tales. And they end up arriving at Holiday House, where we will quickly learn 
every day we go through all four seasons so mm. the middle part of the day is spring summer uh fall is early evening and then evenings are winter and there's magic afoot like we've got an older woman mrs griffin who does all the cooking and when harvey arrives it's a buffet of sweets and delicious things and there's other children there and everybody gets to celebrate christmas every evening anything you desire just sort of magically appears and it seems fantastic can i just say though that like experiencing all four seasons every day sounds like hell to me that does right. not sound pleasant <laughs> at all especially as someone who like i am usually like most at risk for getting sick when there's a lot of temperature changes going on like it, mm -hmm. it wreaks havoc on my body and that's usually when i'll get sick <laughs> so i'm just picturing myself just perpetually with the flu at the holiday right. house or sneezing every morning because it's yeah. springtime and you've got mm -hmm. allergies <laughs> yeah yeah and like how do you layer for that how do you layer for all four seasons Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm glad you asked, Brian, because <laughs> conveniently enough, there's a whole storage section of children's clothing. So if you're not mm. dressed appropriately for the season, you can just go up and grab some. Where do those clothes come from? Questions that Harvey is not asking. Yeah, who knows? That just that's very convenient, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I love that Barker presupposes that this is magic. So, you know, of course, we would have a room that's going to give you everything that you need in the same way that we've got gifts that are explicit to your desires that just seem to magically appear for Christmas every day. So in my mind, even as an adult, I wasn't suspicious of the fact that we've got a bunch of clothes from other kids. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, wait, I get it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's another boy here named Wendell, and because this is a slightly older text, of course, we're always referring to him as fat. And because mm. he is fat, he is also stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that definitely... Uh, this comes from a time where fat was a shorthand for either uh, stupid, lazy... Mm -hmm. Yeah, entitled some kind of combination, you know, think Augustus Gloop from uh, from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, that kind of thing. Exactly. Or Harry Potter's uh, cousin, Dudley. Uh, Dudley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, though. Wendell, for the most part, is nice. It's just that he's very oblivious. And he even takes delight in the opportunity to prey on Harvey at one point. Um, so there's opportunities to kind of go on adventures, to do various things. There's a lake in the woods nearby. And we're sort of told, hey, maybe don't go over there. It's not the best place to explore, which, of course, should ring alarm bells for Harvey, but they don't exactly. Like, he goes over there and he ends up losing a childhood heirloom that he had asked for for Christmas, one of the mm -hmm. days, and he thinks he sees something in the water, but it frightens him and he ends up running away. Yeah. As we're talking about this, I kind of wonder a little bit you know, we, we talk about seeing these warning signs with the hindsight of adulthood. I mm -hmm. wonder to what degree Barker is actually trying to raise these warning flags as kind of like nuggets for the kids to pick up on. Like maybe maybe they are being asked to pick up on these and kind of like as a an interactive thing where they're almost like yelling at the screen like, no, don't go there. Like maybe mm -hmm. maybe we're not giving kids enough credit and maybe he is like trying to give them these breadcrumbs of, of things that things aren't quite right, you know, and, and right. depending on the kid, maybe they don't pick up on it till later, you know, with, with 
like you said, even some of the things we didn't necessarily notice at first, like there's a lot of clothes. Yeah. That, that just makes sense that, you know, they want to make sure that like these kids don't want to leave. So they need all the clothes. You know, maybe we, we didn't necessarily think about like, where do those clothes come from until a little bit later. So it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I would be interested to see like, what is this experience like for an 11 year old kid reading this? Right. And we should note that the longer you stay there, the more time just kind of seems to slip away. You're always Mm -hmm. busy doing various things. There's things to occupy your attention. There's food to be eaten, gifts to open. And as a result, I think even Harvey starts to lose track of time. So this idea that there are warning signs he should be picking up on, if you look at this as a kind of fluid, every day feels the same, how long has it been? Oh, I think it's only been a couple of days kind of thing. I think it's easier to explain away why Harvey isn't more observant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we should note that there are a couple of incidents that do flag his attention. So one of them is the unfortunate death of one of Mrs. Griffin's cats. So she mm. has three cats, Stew Cat, Blue Cat, and Clue Cat. And Clue Cat dies when he falls into a pot of boiling water. And I will say this was the first big welcome to Clive Barker for children <laughs> moment yeah. because this is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. And especially when you think through the lens of, like, when I was a kid, I got pretty comfortable pretty quickly with people dying in horror Mm -hmm. movies. I was very sensitive to animal death as a kid. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> I've I've talked on numerous other podcasts before uh, about what a scarring experience uh, Artax's death is in the Neverending Story. Right. Um, so, like, and that was just like any time an animal died in a movie, it was absolutely horrifying. It's the worst. Yeah. So, so Barker doing that in such a like. It's almost cavalier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, and then the cat just died. <laughs> like, yeah. no, Barker, we are not okay right now. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, that idiot jumped in a pot and now he's dead. It's like, well, mm-hmm. no, that's not, that's horrible. That, that's not something to just be dismissed. Um, and I, I, I do think that's, that feels intentional in terms mm-hmm. oh, of yeah. like, you know, that, like you said, it's supposed to be that big warning flag where it's like, you know, if, if you're in, a place that is on the level that is like a moment where everybody's Mm -hmm. like, okay, everything comes to a stop. Like there's probably like a little cat funeral. Like it is something Mm -hmm. where like the fact that they just walk right on by it and like go back to business as usual. Yeah. I think you're right. Is like supposed to be, and this is where Harvey picks up on like, Oh, things might not be quite what I thought here. Hmm. But we should note it's also telling for us that this isn't a realm of pure escape because this cat isn't magically revived the next mm-hmm. day or anything. When people die here, they actually die. Yeah. Yeah. It is. There are consequences here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I think the <laughs> the real life consequences I think we'll talk about with the ending are especially interesting uh but yeah it's interesting as you find out that you know with the abilities that they do have the fact that they don't just try and like glamour the cat back or something Mm -hmm. like that is is interesting yes (laughs) 
So the other significant moment that catches Harvey's attention is when he is given the opportunity to transform into a vampire by mm. Rictus's sister, Mar, who is described as an overweight woman, but she has the ability to grant dreams. So one evening he decides he's going to turn into a vampire and play a trick on Wendell. And Wendell is terrified. He actually <laughs> volunteers. He's like, don't take me, take my friend Harvey. He's right over there. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's a moment we can laugh about, but it's actually pretty devastating if you take that step back from the narrative. This idea that in a moment of panic, Wendell would happily sacrifice his friend when he thinks he's about to die. And it's like, oh, OK, so these are not actually the best of friends. And I think they also do like there's two layers to that where it's a kind of a horrifying, like a little bit of a heartbreaking moment, but it also really kind of shows Harvey's true colors, too, because mm -hmm. he still doesn't take that opportunity to do something like because they're setting him up. You can tell, you oh, know, yep. again, looking looking at it through the, the warning signs of looking at it as an adult, like they're trying to prime the pump to actually have him kill Wendell. Oh, sure. um, yeah. mm -hmm. And the fact that he doesn't do it is, you know, disappointing to everybody, you know, for, for Rictus and Jive uh, mm -hmm. and for, for Mar. So we're, we're getting that peek into when stuff gets really difficult. There's some substance to Harvey. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, he may be a, uh, a depressed 11 year old, but he's still a good kid. Well, he's a hero. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, within the fable uh, structure, you know, we're, we're usually not looking at this through a lot of, like, nuance or, like, flawed characters. So, yeah, he's the hero. Wendell is kind of the cowardly little shit. Mm -hmm. uh, and we haven't talked about Lulu yet, but I yes. think, you know, we're going to look at Lulu as kind of the damsel in distress here. Uh, kind of. I think she's a variation of Harvey where she is good at heart, but also, you're right, yeah, she's... She's found herself in a position where she's been at Holiday House too long. And unlike Wendell, who's willing to overlook things for pleasure, right? You know, I'll just keep eating. I'll just keep opening gifts. I'll keep having adventures. Lulu is despondent. And mm -hmm. there's a hint of a romantic relationship or as much as you can have for kids this age between her and Harvey. But she is flailing, right? And eventually she ends up transforming into a fish creature in the lake and this is really a significant turning point in the book where harvey realizes that if the kids grow dissatisfied there isn't an escape like they don't go home they end up becoming these amphibian amphibious creatures in the lake and they just hang out there yeah yeah and it's i think this is another area where we're looking at something surprising from the Barker approach here is that there's an innocence to, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about the, the kind of quasi romantic relationship, but there's nothing inappropriate about it, which no. if, you, if there was going to be something uh, that you would expect from Barker, there would be some kind of, some kind of like, like, mm -hmm. you know, like a dash of like, Oh, well that took a weird turn, but right. this stays so incredibly innocent. Even again, like, you know, I, I keep hinting at like the, at the, the end, direction, yeah. the, the ending goes, it's still so innocent and it's still mm -hmm. so lovely and bittersweet, but it's, 
this for me is something kind of new for Barker because it's, you know, we talked about in earlier stories that there's, you know, he has some whimsy or some playfulness, but Mm -hmm. it's all with a mean streak here. There is just something so wholly wholesome about the relationship between Harvey and Lulu that it's kind of nice to be able to see Barker be able to flex that muscle a little bit. For sure. And and the book has a lot of darkness, but it's age-appropriate darkness. Like, he's been able to dial himself back for his intended audience in ways that, like you, I wasn't sure he'd be able to pull off, but he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think that relationship with Lulu is, I think, what starts to really take off his rose-colored glasses about the Holiday House and really lets him see through the cracks of the facade of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And kind of leads us into like, you know, the the end of the second slash into like the the third act where things get. For me, there there was a moment where there was almost a a false it's like ending. a reprieve, right? <laughs> a reprieve, or, or almost like a like I thought it was going to be like a a tales from the crypt style ending where right. it's like he gets out, but you realize like the twist he is never the catch. Left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the biggest surprises for me is I thought that the whole book would be about him realizing I can't stay here. Something is wrong. I need to get back to my parents and my real life. And mm-hmm. of course, Wendell says no, he's perfectly happy. Lulu is gone at this point. So it's really Harvey by himself and he ends up getting help from Mrs. Griffin, but he makes an escape through the mist. He is almost consumed by Karna, who is the fourth sibling. They're basically all demons who do the bidding of a dark creature named Mr. Hood, who is never seen but talked ominously about, particularly by Mrs. Griffin, who's like, don't ask questions, don't go looking for things. And there's this moment where Harvey's like, okay, I gotta go. So he makes an escape, Mrs. Griffin helps him, Karna gets lost in the mist, and then Harvey goes home, Mm. and he discovers that... 30 years have passed and his parents are that much older they've never gotten over it because it seemed like he ran away from home it's a very confronting part of the book i loved this because it was genuinely unexpected i didn't think we were going to get away from holiday house until the Mm -hmm. end of the book when we get away from holiday house yeah, no, yeah, this is this is where it kind of turns into something special for me. Like, it was a solid fable up until this point, but when they mm-hmm. leave, you see the consequences, and you yes. find out, like, the reason it's been 30 years and the reason you get four seasons in a day is that essentially a year is going by for every day that you stand in there, or that you stay loved in it. there. I loved and it. And how absolutely terrifying that must mm-hmm. be for a kid to leave this familiar place, go for what feels like a month and come back. And it is completely different. Like, Mm -hmm. and that goes to like why, you know, this is a, this is such a great story for kids because I remember there's few things more terrifying than making something familiar and Mm -hmm. turning it into something like dangerous and unfamiliar. And he does that. Barker does that so well with this twist. And I, I absolutely love that. This is the direction he takes it. And that again, like this is where, when he's escaping and he's seeing that like 30 years have gone by, like, this is where I'm almost thinking like, Oh shit, is this the ending? And Mm -hmm. this is like you escape, but like your things are never going to be the same again. So finding out that this was really only the start of like the third act was also just like, I'm like, Oh, we've got so much more book left. Where is this Mm going to go? 
Exactly. Yeah, the other part I really liked about this is there's a genuine sense of melancholy. Like mm. when Lulu goes into the lake, it's very sad, but yep. it feels like one of those innocence lost moments where they could have been or what could have been rather. And it's sad, but then when he gets back to his parents, it's evident to Harvey just how much he had to live for, how much he was taking for granted when he said, you know what, I don't like my parents that much. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to be this kid with all of this privilege and stuff. And mm -hmm. here he he comes to realize what he's missed. You know, the idea of not having experiences for 30 years with his family and how they, they can't connect anymore. Yeah. But one of the other things I really like about this section is that his parents doubt him, but they do still make the effort to believe him. So his dad goes on a bunch of walking tours with him to try to rediscover Holiday House. Of course, mm -hmm. it's obscured by the mist and it protects itself. Essentially, if you're looking for it, but for the wrong reasons, you will never find it. And I thought that that's a perfect example of both a fable, but also realism where you know, the parents love him enough that they're willing to try, but also the fable aspect means they could never find it again. So the mom believes him and, right. and you get a sense that it's the she believes him because she has to, because uh -huh. if what she's seeing in front of her, like, I think you, you get like these these hints that if that's not Harvey, then this is mm -hmm. going to break me like she has right. to believe him. And the dad is much more skeptical. But like you said, this is my son in front of me or mm -hmm. by, by everything I'm seeing, like, this is my kid. I gotta believe him, you know? And, and I, I do think that's a really good going back to your point about kind of seeing what he's lost. Like who, who among us as kids hasn't had that moment where it's like, uh, I don't want anything mm -hmm. to do with my family. I wish I never saw them again. Like yep. I just want to go out on my own and not deal with you people anymore. But then mm -hmm. if you were ever confronted with the idea of actually being separated with your family, that would be horrifying. Absolutely. So it's, kind of what this fable is all about it's getting to mm -hmm. to show kids like through the safety of fiction like this is what that actually looks like is this what mm -hmm. you really want right yeah and and we've seen it in countless other examples like i think for a lot of folks a very obvious comparison would be something like home alone where kevin McAllister says you know <laughs> i wished my family away <laughs> and it initially seems great and then you realize oh no all i want is the safety and protection of the mm -hmm. people I love and who love me back. Yeah, I'm not ready for this at all. No. <laughs> I thought it was a grown-up, and I'm not. <laughs> An interesting twist, though, is that Harvey is more prepared for this than I think he really thought. And when mm -hmm. he realizes the situation and, and what's got to happen, I mean, there's so much going on that kind of makes Harvey wise beyond his years. First yes. of all, just the fact that he connects the dots and realizes, like, if I go back and I destroy this this vampire, uh, mm -hmm. I, what do we want to call Mr. Hood? Would you call him a vampire? Um, like an energy vampire? He's kind of like yeah. a, a malevolent har uh, Colin Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> yeah, he's an unconventional vampire because, of course, by the time that Harvey makes his way back through the mist to Holiday House because it wants him back because he's the only person who ever escaped. And mm -hmm. we come to learn that the house is Mr. Hood. They are one and the same creature. Mm -hmm. 
And there's other revelations like Mrs. Griffin is actually the first kid that ever came there and she made a deal with Mr. Hood that as long as she never tried to leave, she would live forever. But she also did have to grow up and she's seen countless other kids come and go, often in horrible ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the kind of differences that we have where Wendell is still kind of garbage. Like he's an okay kid, but he is no hero. And then Mrs. Griffin is similar to Harvey, except that she was afraid. So she never tried to make a run for it. And she made a deal with the devil. And then there's Lulu who succumbed to her fate. Like she just kind of gave up. And that's why mm-hmm. she ended up becoming a person in the lake. Yeah. Yeah. And so like Harvey as the hero here, there's just so many layers to the fact that like he's got this hunch that like if I go back and I destroy Mr. Hood, Mm -hmm. I can reset time, reset everything and have all these kids sent back to where they originally came back in here. He doesn't know that for sure, but he's like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's risky. And the fact that he's willing to take that risk just for Mm -hmm. the chance of getting like not just his own life back, but getting the life back for all these kids is like, you know, this is a hero's trial in the like purest sense. Mm -hmm. Like, an 11-year-old kid making that deduction and then also knowing it might not work but going through with it anyway mm-hmm. and and deciding, like, I am going to risk being stuck here forever just for the chance that I might be able to defeat this this Mr. Hood and, and give everybody their lives back is just like, you know, what 11-year-old kid is going to have that kind of bravery? <laughs> Let me tell you, Brian. It's a chosen one narrative. <laughs> but in, in the right ways, I don't say that sarcastically. Uh, yeah. I mean, it sounded like I said it sarcastically, but it's more just this is why I think the fable aspect of it is so significant because mm-hmm. only Harvey could have done this, right? He is the chosen one. He's special. He's unlike anyone who has ever come to Holiday House before. And that is Mr. Hood's undoing is because he thinks that he can just steamroll over everyone by giving them their heart's desire until someone special like Harvey comes along. And what I love is, especially in this climax, it is child barker perfection because this is essentially kirsty versus the cenobites from hellraiser mm-hmm. where she has to go up against each of the four demon siblings and she takes them out by using what makes them special against mm-hmm. them so yeah. their powers are their own undoing yeah and it's you know they kind of each get their own like special death you know mm-hmm. the uh you know uh jive is Jive is the one I like the least. I'm just like, you don't make enough of an impression. And unfortunately, <laughs> I don't. I wish Barker gave a little bit more time to each of these because they do feel a little, they're not quite fleshed out enough. Which I think, you know, it would bother me more if not for like, I think it kind of works within the fable trope. Like these okay. are tropey monsters that are known for like one specific thing. Mm hmm. You know, where, you know, Rictus is kind of the uh, the smiling face of the, the house, the the, the yes. one who goes out and lures them in. Jive is the one who tries to keep them there. You know, he's the mm-hmm. one who, you know, just kind of points out, like, isn't this place great? Mm-hmm. Eat this food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Mar is the, the one that kind of, like, shows... It's kind of showing the house's hand a little bit more. You know, she's the, mm-hmm. the one who who maybe looks a little bit off and, and kind of lets you indulge more in the that, that darker realm. And then, of course, there's Karna, right. which is just like the, the, like the evil dog. id. 
yeah 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 he's Chatterbeast from bloodline uh more or less i will say of the four rictus almost doesn't really even get a death because he tries to make a deal with mr hood to like basically he wants to steal mr hood's power and of mm-hmm. course mr hood just deals with him so it's yeah. less harvey's problem <laughs> jive i was a little underwhelmed you know jive is made to eat the food he offers and then because he has consumed the fantasy he turns into dust mm-hmm. mar is made to grant her own wish but she doesn't dream so she turns into nothing i thought that was quietly symbolic and nice Mm. but to me the highlight by far is karna who as you said is kind of like a chatter beast and he is defeated by kindness and i thought Mm -hmm. that that is a beautiful lesson for children yeah yeah and it's (laughs) it's an interesting like a tricky tightrope because it's not you know, when you say kill him with kindness, that's usually meant as almost like a facetious kind of like mm-hmm. false kindness that is clearly just like, I'm putting up with you. Here right. it is like Harvey genuinely tries to give this creature kindness and it can't deal with it because it's not built for that. So it does right. wind up like there is something both very sweet and very sad about it because Harvey is still trying to do heroic things uh in mm-hmm. this case it just like it is a creature that is not built to be able to accept that and it ultimately yeah. tragically dies because of it yeah but i got the impression it was grateful like it's a form of release yeah in a way. yeah yeah there is that now that you mention it there is that that element of like <laughs> thank you like being me sucked and i'm happy to not be me anymore <laughs> Well, no one ever treated me with kindness or yeah. respect or love. And it's mm-hmm. like the first person to show me that proves that I'm not the horrible beast I was always told I was. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. So Harvey has defeated the Acolytes, which means now he has to go to the big boss battle. And this is a very dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're doing all kinds of supernatural things. We call out the creatures from the lake, including Lulu. You know, Mr. Hood is seemingly defeated and then he comes back. But essentially, we've got to break down this house. And it's it's a little bit Dorothy from Oz with the (laughs) whirlpool. Yeah, with the tornado whirlpool kind of thing. There's impalings. There's power grabs by Rictus. It's all (laughs) very action packed. But eventually, of course, Mr. Hood is defeated. In a way that like. It's a little disorienting, the the way the final sequence plays out. And I do think that's by design. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, again, if we're kind of, like, comparing Barker works, it's it's almost a little bit, like, hints of the story we keep referring back to from Books of Blood with the two towns that become, like, the giant versions of, like, just combining all the townspeople. um, Mm -hmm. Where you get that thing where it's, like, you, you understand theoretically or like hypothetically what's going on but like you can't really Mm -hmm. wrap your mind around it and i think there's a lot of that here like you get a you get a feel for what's going on but it's like if you try and like fully picture it i think it's hard to do yes exactly uh and again i think knowing barker i feel like that's deliberate and not like a drawback of the writing it is it's what he's going for 
Yeah, because the rest of the book is so visually compelling. Like, it was very easy for me to imagine an adaptation. Even um, an animated version of this, I think, would be Mm. really visually compelling. But this part, yeah, I had a lot of difficulty wrapping my head around what it would look like. And because it's the only part of the book that reads that way, it has to be by design. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think works in terms of like it's breaking down the reality of this world and just yes. kind of like it, it's turning it into like an all bets are off situation where it's just mm-hmm. reality is crumbling. And so, yeah. you know, Harvey has to weather that storm and be willing to get through the situation that it's like it could almost like Cthulhu-esque like break your brain if you're mm-hmm. if, if you give into it. Um, but yeah. he stands fast. The little dude stands fast uh, with with a an opportune assist from lulu they are able to defeat mr hood yeah so then we take one final leap of chance and we go back through the mist and we hope that everybody goes back to their timelines but there's an an element of uncertainty here right Mm -hmm. mrs griffin does not so she finally expires here but uh lulu goes back and says you know maybe i'll see you on the other side like i'll look for you i may look completely different we don't know so everybody goes back and lo and behold time has been reset so harvey has gotten to 30 years back and he ends up slowly forgetting some of the details which is part of the magic of Holiday House is that you mm-hmm. you have difficulty remembering everything, which makes it harder to find if you ever do escape. But there's this really nice moment, a kind of coda, where he ends up going and not meeting Lulu in the park. He ends up meeting her grandson. And mm-hmm. because she is so much older, she doesn't want Harvey to remember how she looks now. She would rather him remember her as this potential romantic option back when she was 12. So she, mm-hmm. she sends her grandson out and says, you know, thank you. You saved us. And I'll wave at you from afar. And it's <laughs> melancholy and nice. It, it feels like a perfect mirror of her goodbye when she turned into a lake creature. You use the word melancholy and it's such a perfect way to describe. And I love a good melancholy story. So the way mm-hmm. that they ended this was just so just absolutely perfect because it's not, uh, it doesn't end on like a treacly sweet, happy ending where just mm-hmm. like everything is perfect. It is, you know, Harvey has reset the things that were wrong, but mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily come with like all of your dreams or wishes come true. Right. But you do, he does at least get to see that hint of like, what he had hoped would happen is what happens. And Mm -hmm. he at least gets to know that like Lulu's okay. We don't get to be together. You know, we Mm -hmm. don't get to have a friendship or whatever kind of relationship that would have been, but I at least know she's okay. And she didn't forget me either. And I think that's Mm -hmm. also a big part of it where, you know, again, where you're working against that, that fading magic of, of the house. And I think if I remember correctly, they said something like the kids said on their way out, like, well, we'll, we'll remember by telling the story to ourselves every morning, right. you know, and you know, it's not a foolproof thing. You know, I, like you said, he still loses some of those, those vivid details, but you know, the fact that, you know, it shows that Lulu for whatever she lost, she was able to remember him and was mm-hmm. able to remember to go back, which also makes you wonder like how often were her and for how long 
her and her grandson going to that park, mm-hmm. knowing that one day that was going to be the day that <laughs> that Harvey showed up. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the other things I really liked about this ending is that you're right. It doesn't wrap everything up with a nice bow. It's not trickly. It's not saccharine. Things are better. Lessons have been learned, but they're still that little bit of consequence. And I do think that that's really important in a story for teenagers or children. Mm-hmm. It reminds me so much of the writing of Neil Gaiman or Roald Dahl, mm-hmm. where, you know, we we have these magical supernatural adventures, but at the end of the day, we still have to go back and just live our almost mundane lives. Mm-hmm. And there's something really powerful about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, kind of the reminder that like there's still a magic to your everyday mm-hmm. life you know there's there is something to be found and cherished there the the things that you see as magical or the the things that that harvey was hoping for and initially got at holiday house you know that is that's essentially like they're saying it's dust and ash mm-hmm. you know and it's 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 finding the magic in what you have and being yes. happy in what you have and you know this is a very basic moral but Mm -hmm. it's it's a good one for an 11 and 12 year old you know audience um and so i think the way that he executes that and the way that he shows that with that ending is just perfect and it was yeah like i said i think the the first two acts of this were enjoyable the way he he did the third act and especially with the ending just made this a really special story for me Mm mm-hmm Yeah, this was one of those ones where I legitimately wasn't sure that we would either have something to talk about or that Barker would not be a good fit. Like his his vision, his material would not be a good fit for the audience or he wouldn't be able to execute it convincingly. Mm -hmm. And it was very much like, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. This is great. (laughs) Oh, here you go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there's a lot of enjoyment to be had in this. Like, I think it, it would be a great read for its intended audience but i think that there's a lot of good stuff here for adults too like i i did not feel like i was just you know biding my time just so that you and i could have this conversation it was i really enjoyed reading this book and i'm glad we did it and it's funny because i actually went into this book thinking that's what it was going to be it's gonna it was going to be like a novelty or like, you know, checking out this artifact of, you know, something that Clive Barker tried out uh, mm-hmm. and would be good for a discussion. But like, I don't know how much I'm going to actually enjoy the story. Right. And I was mistaken. I mm-hmm. love this. Shockingly enough, Clive Barker yeah. proves yeah. us wrong again. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Mr. Brian, before we announce where we're headed next, if people want to talk to you about the perfect melancholy ending to this here fable, how would they get in touch? You can get me uh, both at Twitter uh, for however long that mm. nightmare hellscape is going to be around or on uh, Instagram, uh, both at Evil Taylor Hicks. Excellent. And I can be reached at B still on my remote. And that's the letter B. And of course, you should also be following everything that the pod squad puts out. And that's the anatomy of a screen pod squad. So make sure you're subscribing. So Mr. Brian, we're going to travel back to more appropriately adult fare. It's time to return to the books of blood next. So we're Mm -hmm. going to tackle volume four. 
we are chipping away at it. We have, mm-hmm. we're on the the back half of the books of blood at this point. <laughs> yes, there we go. Curious folks will know that there actually is a minor adaptation from this version. It's part of what I've gathered to be an anthology, but uh, I don't have a ton of experience, so we'll have to debate uh, after we've read the book whether we want to try and tackle that or if we just maybe move on. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, until Books of Blood Volume 4, I guess, uh, Mr. Brian, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) I don't even have a response for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's good advice. It's good advice, kids. It's good advice. (laughs) Just, you know, it's a a life lesson for all ages. Yes. squad.